want to take a moment to really call on God to be what we just sang him to be, that um, God had a message from Tony Wilson this morning, his family um, struggling with sickness, um, Jerry was in the hospital this week, Rick Scott down with Hartford. There's so many things going on in this church, but there's so many things going on in each one of our lives, and that we would just take this moment to really call on God to be who, who he says he is, to call on him to be a way maker, a miracle worker that goes beyond Sunday morning, beyond a message, but, but to the spirit of God, where he can do what only Good morning. Uh, my name is Luke. For those of you who don't know me, um, been a crazy morning in a lot of different ways. Um, so we have a chair back here just in case I need to sit down um, because many of you know um, I've had ongoing health issues the last um, about three years now. And this week had another spout of symptoms, went into urgent care and found out that um, I don't have stomach issues and all the things they've been saying I've had. But I think it's a nerve issue, it's a neurological issue, and so um, I don't think my um, vagus nerve is firing right, and because of that, I just get all sorts of crazy symptoms. So, with that being said, they put me on medication, had a bad reaction to it last night, two hours ago, I was heading to the urgent care again, um, but God has somehow encouraged me and filled me up with a little bit of strength, and here we are, and so thank you guys for being patient with us this morning, and just in case you see kind of walk backwards, that's, that's probably what I'm doing to sit down. But that's just precautionary. I do feel a lot better um, and just excited to be here with you guys um, this morning. So a little bit of a prelude, um, just so you guys aren't distracted by the chair. But uh, we're going to be continuing in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 specifically this morning. And the title is, If the Shoe Fits 
where. And we'll see that a little bit in the scripture as we continue to move forward. But before we jump into the scripture, I want to share a story I don't think I've ever shared um, with anybody, not because it's a super big deal, but it was just really embarrassing. Of my first week in college at, at fall camp for football, we were like three, four days into camp, and I just felt like I was a little bit slow. I felt like I was kind of just almost tripping over myself, but couldn't really figure out why. I thought, well, maybe it's college football, maybe it's a little harder, trying to come up with different excuses. But four days in, I'm putting on my cleats, and I realize my cleats are a size and a half too big. And so this whole time, I've been a little bit slow, a little bit tripping. My shoes didn't fit, and I never would have thought that was the problem with my shoes, but that was the issue. And I just want us to take a second with that corny story and just ponder for, for a second. Sometimes I really believe the Holy Spirit's convicting us that something is just a little bit off in our life. Just something's a little bit off with our relationship with the Lord. Maybe something's a little bit off with, with a spouse. Something's a little bit off with a friend. But there's just something that's just not quite right. And I believe that sometimes we're trying to put on a shoe that doesn't quite fit us or a shoe that God has not called us to wear. And that's what we're going to look at today in Ephesians 5. 1 through 6, that we would pay attention when things were a little bit off. Because I wish, looking back on that fall camp, I would have realized my shoe didn't fit a little bit earlier and got those things fixed because it definitely did play a role, I think, in that year, honestly, for me in football. So we're going to jump in to Ephesians 5. Our scripture for today is 3 to 4, but we're going to look at verses 1 through 6 all together. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. As we look at this scripture today, we talked about how chapter 5 is in context of the church being the bride of Christ. When Christ comes back, he's coming for a holy bride and not a contaminated bride. That when Jesus comes back, he's not coming for a bride that's found in adultery, not found, you know, come back for a bride who's, who's occupied with other things. But he's coming back for a bride that loves him and is committed to him. And so when we look at these scriptures, they're kind of scriptures that jump off on the, off the page a little bit to you. They're, they're, they can be pretty convicting. They can be challenging. But God is laying this out because he's showing us in order for us to be his bride, in order for us to put on a shoe that fits of, of the bride of Christ, to, to have something that, that fits us, that, that is glorifying to God, there has to be holiness that is involved, and there has to be commitment. One scripture we talk about a lot here at Jesus, um, five scriptures specifically, we talk about that Jesus said what it meant to be his disciple. In Luke 14, 26-33 is, is a section that we look at. I want to look at... Uh, 1433 this morning that says so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple now when we think about the, the church being the bride of Christ we think of marriage as a commitment it's something that, that is seen there it's not an open relationship but it's something that requires commitment 
I'm thankful that Jesus, he, he gave us, again, the fine print up front, that he gave us this scripture that if we really wanted to follow him, it was going to take all that we had. It was going to take this full-on commitment, leaving everything else behind us. And we look at this Ephesians 5, 1 through 6. It's a challenging scripture, but really what Jesus is saying is there's just not a middle ground. He, he's laying out we can't be mixed in the world and mixed in him, but there has to be a commitment to serve him and him alone first. I believe that when we have an intimacy problem with Christ, a lot of times it's not necessarily our time spent with him, but it's a crack in our holiness. I really believe that God is getting at holiness in the scripture and the importance of when we're walking in holiness, our intimacy with Christ will follow. And 1 Peter 1.16 says this, Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. For those of you here last week, we talked about being imitators of God. And to be imitators of somebody, we have to be around them. We have to see what they do so we can do it as well. So we look at this scripture as kind of a follow-up from last week into what he's getting at in verses 3 and 4. But he says, be holy, for I am holy. And why does God want us to be holy? Have you ever thought about that? Just like taking a second really to stop. Why does God want us to be holy? Not just to obey a set of rules, but... Like I've been saying a little bit in this intro, holiness brings intimacy. And how I know that for sure is in Hebrews 12, 14, he says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, without holiness, there's no intimacy. Now, holiness is what brings us into the presence of God. And God calls us to be holy so, one, we can imitate him, but two, so that we can no one. But when we think about the word holiness, it's a word we use a lot in church, and people have used it for saints or the Pope or different things. But when you think of holiness, what really comes to your mind? In Hebrew, in the Hebrew context, your Hebrew is a pictorial language, and the word holiness, it pulls out a picture of like if you imagine a big slab of meat on a table, and you were to cut off a piece of that meat and separate it from the lump. And that piece has become holy because it's separated from the lump. And that's exactly what God has done. As he, whether it was Israel, whether it's the church today, that he took a group of people, the Israelites, and he separated them from the world and made them holy. And today, he has separated the church from the world to make us holy. That through this separation is how we know him because we can't know the Lord through the ways of the world. And so when we look at holiness, how does holiness happen? I want to look at Titus chapter 3, 3 through 7 of how does holiness actually happen in our life. It says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What sticks out to me in this scripture, obviously we could do a whole other sermon on, on this set of scripture, but what sticks out to me on this scripture is holiness is not something that we can do on our own. That holiness is something that God has to do by a miracle and change our heart. Holiness cannot be something that we, we just get a checklist of things to do and we do these things and all of a sudden we're holy. That true holiness can only be obtained by God. And true holiness can only be obtained 
through the Holy Spirit. And when you look at this, he's saying that one moment we're hating one another and we are hateful people, but the next moment that we are regenerated and we're renewed by the Holy Spirit. There's a great analogy I heard one time, it's not my own, but um, that, that I think describes holiness and that, how that happens um, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, this guy gave a picture of if you had a bunch of sheep and you were guarding the sheep and a wolf kept coming and eating your sheep, kept eating your sheep day by day. You have a couple options. One, this is modern day, you could get a gun, you just kill the wolf, but that doesn't do him much good, he's just dead. Or you could let him keep eating your sheep, but that doesn't do you any good because now your sheep are eaten and the wolf's full and now you have no sheep. But the third thing this guy did is he, he's decided, well, I'm just going to put the wolf in a cage. And the wolf got in the cage. And when a wolf is in the cage, what's the wolf thinking when he's seeing the sheep? He's thinking, the moment I get out of this cage, I'm going to go eat those sheep because that's just in his nature to do. You maintain them for a while because you put them in this cage, so he can't eat them for the time being. But his nature hasn't changed. He's just walking in circles in that cage, just waiting to get out so he can go eat the sheep. When we try to obtain holiness by our works, that's basically what we're doing. That we're a wolf that's caged, and we're keeping from doing the things we want to do, like eat sheep, and we're trying to do the things we don't want to do, like stay in the cage. And it's just this rat race, and it's, it's absolutely draining, because we don't have the power on our own to do what God wants us to do. But what God does to that wolf is he changes the wolf into the sheep. Now when you let the wolf out of the cage, and now he's a sheep, sheep don't eat sheep, because that's not in their nature to do. That the sheep go, can go out and he may do dumb things, he may get lost, or he may get his head stuck in a fence, or, or do something stupid, but the sheep isn't going to go eat sheep because it's no longer his nature to do. And that's, when we look at this scripture in Titus, what, what God is talking about, that this holiness that we need is not something we can conjure up, but holiness begins by the regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit in our heart by what Christ has accomplished. It has to be something that he changes our nature. We can't just change our actions. That when God changes our heart, that's what changes our actions through the power of the Holy Spirit. Another scripture in regards to holiness is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That here is God kind of laying out that analogy, if you will. He's saying, and such were some of you, that before this regeneration happened, before this holiness happened, this is who you were. But there was an identity shift. And we're talking about the bride of Christ in chapter 5. We've got to realize what happened in this identity Shift. The thing I want to point out, verse 11, he says, and as we were changed, he says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If we go back to 1 Peter, we remember that, that God didn't say, be gifted as I am gifted, or be great at speaking as I am great at speaking, or, or be talented as I am talented, but instead he says, be holy as I am holy. I just believe we've got we got it switched around sometimes. We think that the proof of being filled with the Holy Spirit is, is gifts and abilities to speak or ability to see people get saved or, or all the fruit that abounds from our life. But the number one evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God is to live a holy life. That is the foundation of holiness. That's the foundation of the Holy Spirit. If we don't live a holy life, we can be good at all sorts of things. That the gifts of the Spirit are not the gauge of spiritual maturity, the fruit of the Spirit. 
is the gauge of spiritual maturity. That we're saved. God gives us gifts. It says he gave gifts to men. When, when I was saved, there was things that were in me that I didn't even necessarily know yet. But those were given whether I obeyed God or not. He just gave them to us. That, that some of you guys have had that experience that God gave you things on the point of salvation. But if we want to know God, it can't be through spiritual gifts. If we want to know God, it has to be through holiness through the Holy Spirit. And through the gifts, we'll know him more. But we have to catch that the, that the main purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bring holiness. That's why it's called the Holy Spirit, not the gifted spirit. But the Holy Spirit brings holiness to the person who believes in Jesus Christ. I think this is really important to get because the Lord challenged me with this personally as <clears throat> I was studying with, for this scripture and just revealing to me the difference between knowledge and faith. That really, we only know truly know as much as we believe, and we know what we believe by what we do. We talk about that a lot. Um, James 2 is an easy scripture that spells it out. Faith without works is dead. But the thing the Lord warned me about with this is he brought me to where Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. See, when we know things that God has asked us to do, but we push them down, and we haven't done them yet, we haven't stepped out into holiness, but instead we want to learn more about gifts, we want to learn more about the Bible, we want to learn, 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 but we're pushing back holiness. But the Lord was showing me that's where our head starts to blow up, and actually, as we learn more, we get further away from God. As we learn more, as we try to do more of what we want to do, instead of what we know God's asked us to do, that actually starts to slowly but surely pull us away from God. And that's why Paul says this knowledge starts to puff up, and ultimately, we self-implode. But instead, he says love edifies, that love is the actual acting upon what God has asked us to do personally, not just a vague, I can find things in the Bible that I like to do. There's things that are in there that may be fun for me to do, but what has God actually challenged you personally to do when we can't slide those things aside to try to obtain what we want to through our own giftedness or through our own purpose? And I had a personal challenge with this as I was studying, I was before I really got any of this stuff of, I'm at my desk, and I'm writing down notes, and I'm praying, and just not really feeling like I'm getting anything. I look up, and there's these cards that are sitting on my desk that Sarah asked me to do um, like three months ago. And God challenged me. He said, why, why are you looking for revelation in the Word when you can't even just serve your wife and finish these cards? Just a really simple act of obedience. He's saying, you're looking for this knowledge, you're looking for more stuff. But what about just the simple act of loving your wife like Christ loved the churches in your own home? So as I did that, I stopped studying, wrote the cards, got them done, and I looked around, the house was messy. And again, what is Sarah? Sarah enjoys a, a clean house. And it wasn't that I was cleaning it just because that's what Sarah likes, but, but there was a fear of God in me that who am I to study all this stuff and not do what's right in front of me? Who am I to study all this stuff and bring a message in a couple days and not just love the life that God's provided us right in front of me. And there's this aspect of we always want to learn more and do more and find the next great awesome thing to do, but yet there's these things that are right in front of us, and we push them aside, and we study all this stuff in the Word, and all of a sudden our head starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and really our intimacy from God with God starts to become smaller and smaller. There's this aspect of faith and what God is getting at with the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5, that when was the last time we just did something for God because we loved him? That, that we changed, you were planning on doing this, and you didn't do it because that conviction from the Holy Spirit came. And, man, I love God, therefore I'm changing my direction, even if it was a small thing. 
Even if it was just writing some cards. But we're always waiting to do the big grand thing, but are we willing just to do what's right in front of us simply because we love Christ, simply because we want to live a holy life, because we want to be the bride that he has called us to be. As we begin to wrap up, I want to look at Colossians 1, 21 through 22, just really gives a great picture of this identity shift that we've had in Christ, and are we, are we just thankful of this? He says, And you who once were alienating the enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Now we talked about 1 Corinthians 6, or we see in Ephesians 5 as we look at some of this stuff, that we were enemies of God, but yet by this holiness, by the Holy Spirit, by this grace, there was this shift in our identity. And when we as the body of Christ, man, we can get so critical of ourselves. You know, we're trying to obey and we're falling short of these things and we're putting on this shoe as if we're still an enemy of God. That we're not. That, that by the blood of Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are either an enemy of Christ or we are holy in his sight. That it's just one of the two. And a lot of times that whether it's we're being critical or whether we're just being sinful and living in it, C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, um, A born-again Christian stuck in sin or being critical is the most miserable person in the world because you have too much of your sin to enjoy God, but you have too much of God to enjoy your sin. That you're in this just middle area that you can't really enjoy what you're doing because you're convicted about it, but you can't really spend time with God because you're not living a holy life. And that there's just this, just this mix in us. And the reason why something feels off it's because we're not wearing the shoe that Christ asked to put on. There's no more joy, there's no more beauty than just walking in what God's asked us to do. There's, there's no greater joy, there's no greater love than just to do something because we love God. Just to do something because we're grateful for what he's done for us. Not to attain a prize, not to have a bigger ministry, not to find peace in our lives, but just because we love him. Just because we are his bride who delights in us and that we could also just delight in him. So the question is, is God is helping us become the bride, but are we imitating him? Are we listening? Are we taking a second to step back and be like, man, I feel a step slow. I'm slip, slipping in these drills. I'm stumbling over myself. There's something that doesn't fit my life right now. And do, do we, Are we sensitive enough to the spirit to let God start to remove these things so that we can become the bride that he has asked us to be? I want to look at these, when we talk about this identity shift, this is just a few of them. But so far in the book of Ephesians, these are things that God has said that we are. And we've got to start to just embrace that identity. And, and, a, and a, a challenge for us over this next week is to take some time and look at these things. And do we really believe these things? Do we believe that we're chosen? Do we believe that we are accepted in Christ? Do we believe and do we, do we understand what it means to be adopted? That the word says that we cry out, Abba, Father, when we're adopted, this intimacy that comes between us and God, that we're sanctified, we're washed, we're heirs with Christ. You guys can read the list, and there's many more, just in the book of Ephesians or across the Word, that it's so important to put on the shoe that God's asking us to wear. This is the shoe He's asking to wear if you are a believer in Christ. And are we willing to find out what that really means, and are we willing to step into this holiness by the Holy Spirit, by His power? So as we begin to close, I'm actually going to get to Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. I know that was the longest intro ever. But the point I really want to hit before we get to these scriptures is why is God saying this? 
Because holiness is the road to intimacy with him. Holiness is the road to be the bride of Christ. Holiness is the road to, to hear from the Holy Spirit. And we're not living in holiness. Or, Johnny's been preaching on this, the, the spiritual frequency, it's disrupted. And when we're living in sin and we think we're hearing from God, it just isn't going to happen. And I've been there in, in, in seasons of my life where I thought, man, I know I'm hearing from God, but there was that thing that I just wasn't letting go of. Until I let go of that, man, spiritually I was so foggy. And we can't count on hearing from the Lord without holiness. So I just really wanted to hit that point and just going to kind of touch on when he's talking about these things, what are the things that he's talking about when he's going through Ephesians 5? The things that are not, what does he say? They're not fitting. It says they're not fitting for saints. It says um, in verse 4 that they're just not fitting. That these are things that don't fit the bride of Christ. So if they don't fit us, why would we be doing them? It's not our identity. It's not who we are in Christ. Why would we be partaking in these things? The first one says fornication. And the Greek word for this is pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. And I just want to give um, a statistic that I found that was very alarming. It said 68% of men in the church today watch pornography. 50% of pastors um, in, in, a church, in a poll that was done over the last five years have confessed watching pornography on a regular basis. I just want to make this statement that when we are stuck in sexual sin, it's not just men, women, doesn't matter. When we are stuck in sexual sin, we will not be able to hear the Lord. We just won't. That we can say we can, we can learn a bunch of stuff, we can know a bunch of stuff about God, but these are things that do not fit the body of Christ. These are things without holiness, no one can see the Lord. This disrupts our intimacy with God. And, and with all of these things that we touch on them, just my encouragement to us is not to be discouraged to beat ourselves up, but by just my encouragement with this is just not to fool ourselves with allowing things, these things in our life and just thinking it's okay. Just thinking, man, we can justify these things. We can just carry on. One quick story. Um, there was a, a track runner one time who um, hurt her ankle. Um, her um, ligaments were all busted up, but she really wanted to run. It was her senior year, so they put some ointment on it that kind of numbed the ankle so it didn't hurt. She tried to get out and run, and man, it was just not, uh, it wasn't a good thing. She could sprint, she could, she could do it, but just there was no power in her leg. That we can see these things and just rub them off like they're no big deal and put some numbing ointment on it, but it's going to come to bite us eventually. That, that God is just warning us that as his bride, we cannot allow these things to fester in our life. He talks about fornication. He also talks about uncleanness. Uncleanness in the Greek really is talking about our motives, not just what we do, but why we do them. Going back to do we do things because we just simply love Jesus Christ. Next thing he talks about is covetousness. Covetousness that we desire what other people have. This can be in clothing, this can be in families, this can be in housing, but this can also be spiritually. You know, do we look around and do we want something that someone else has spiritually? Do we want a gift? Do we want to, to have the position? Do we, do we want something that, uh, that uh, people have that we do not possess? And this is something that God is just warning us that will choke out our intimacy with him. Next thing he says is, he says, not let not this stuff even be named among you as a spitting for saints. And then he says things, filthiness, foolish talking, and coarse jesting. I was having a hard time studying these right off the bat. What do these things mean? Filthiness. Of course, yes, these aren't words that we use very often, but filthiness, it really means something that's shameful. And the picture the Lord gave me is you're doing something, and then your mom would walk in, you're like, oh, man, why am I doing this? The thing that just like, once that person walks in, you're like, what am I even spending my time doing this? That those things that are shameful, are we spending our time on things, on thoughts, on words that are shameful? 
Next, he says foolishness <clears throat> or foolish talking. If you guys were here um, about a month ago, Rick gave a great word on, on just how important our words are. What he's talking about here is worthless words. Don't spend your time speaking on things that are worthless, but instead, as we saw in Ephesians, words that are, are brought to build people up. And this is something that God's just convicted me on. We, sometimes we just have that like nonchalant comment about somebody or somebody asks, hey, how's so-and-so doing? You know, it's kind of this nonchalant that's not necessarily rude, but it's worthless. It's not building them up. It's not bringing the kingdom. There's power in our words. Rick brought up that statement that sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can never hurt us. It's just not true. It's not true. Our words have meaning. Our words have power. He says, don't let these things even be with you. And finally, he says, coarse jesting. And this was an interesting one, and really what he's talking about is, is sarcasm. But sarcasm in the sense of just demeaning and putting one another down. And this is, um, can be very prevalent, especially, I feel like, in young people. We want to just make jokes. We want to have fun. But, but it's something that, that can really tear people down without us even knowing it. And whether it's foolish talking or coarse jesting, that our words would actually be being brought to edify and to build one another up. The reason why I want to go through these things is this isn't God's effort to put in front of us a bunch of sins or a bunch of things that, that, that will um, bring heaviness to us. But these are things that he's warning us with because he wants us to be the bride that's intimacy, uh, intimate with him. That intimacy has to come with holiness, and we can't have holiness if we carry these things around, if we're trying to put on these shoes that don't fit us. That if you're a believer in Christ... This stuff does not fit you. This stuff doesn't have power over you. That in Jesus Christ, you don't have to be a slave to any of this stuff. And that's what Jesus is saying. These things do not fit you. So he's just saying, quit doing them. Just stop doing these. Instead, put on that we'll see here and later in this chapter. Instead, put on the things of Christ that he has made for us to fit and for us to glorify him with. So as we begin to wrap up, um, we can get ready for our offering. Um, and our worship crew can start making their way to the front. The last thing he says here, he says, but rather giving a thanks. And if you're struggling with any of these specific things we talked about, or if there's anything the Lord struck you with that just doesn't fit right now in your life according to who you are in Christ, my challenge to you is to replace the time you spend doing that of being thankful. And what thankfulness does is it requires us to look at God. We can't be thankful and be thinking about that boss that really makes us mad. We can't be thankful and be th and coveting someone else's stuff. We can't be thankful and be lusting after someone that thankfulness gets our eyes off ourselves, off our situation, and onto the God that is a miracle and is the God who is on the move, who can change our hearts. That thankfulness is such a beautiful thing, and really we have so much to be thankful for. We can begin to bring up um, the offering. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for the way that you provide for us. God, the way that you love us, the way that you are strong in our weakness. God, I pray that you bless this offering, Father, that we would use... Um, the funds that you give us, God, for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. God, and that we would give you the first fruits of our labor. God, that it wouldn't be an obligation to give the one who's given us everything a piece of what you've given us. God, that 
it's not something that we owe you, Lord. It's something that should be um, just an opportunity, Father, to give you, Lord, what you've so abundantly um, given us. Father, so we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. Father, so God, in Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Amen. As we begin to wrap up, as always, if there's a word that someone has or something God has been stirring up in you, you're more than welcome to come up and share that um, with me, and we can get you a mic to, to present that to the body. But I really want us to just, just think about it, just, just to really pray as, as Nat and Jamie close us in, in worship. Of, is, there, is there just that little bit of a red flag that God has been giving us lately? This is just off. There's something off in our life, and to come back to holiness, and to come back with this intimacy with him, and, and let him show us our identity that we would focus on these things rather than things that don't fit us, rather than things that may be tearing us down. And ultimately, like Jesus said to Peter, when he wanted to get Peter's kind of butt going, he said, you know, do you love him? And I, think, I believe the question the Lord has for each one of us this morning is, do we love him? Do we know what he wants us to do? Do we want to just go through the motions, or do we really love him? The art is easy, worth all of our thoughts, all of our affections, all of our action, all of our time. So as the worship team begins to play, if you have a word, if you want time at the altar, please feel free to come up and we will close here.